Today, as we're looking at Exodus 12, we'll be talking about Passover. And uh, I was struck with the fact that the, the term Passover, the way we think of it, because of the death angel passing over the houses of the Israelites, but it's also a word that we use when we say someone has passed over, and we, we use it in different ways. And a minute ago when, when Bob was reading, um, it was from Hebrews, I believe, and talking about the great cloud of witnesses and other things that are happening and some of the songs we sang. The, um, this morning, Kevin is very possibly in his last hours here on earth, and his family is with him, and we've been praying for them and with them. But I was just thinking about that, the, the, the very the reality of our life here on earth, and that much of what we live here is a shadow of things to come. And in the same way, we're going to be talking about Passover and what, the, what the God was teaching the children of Israel. Um, but, and that is a, a shadow of what was to come, which was Jesus. And we'll be talking about that. But I wanted to take a moment right now to just pray for Kevin, for his siblings, and for uh, peace around that whole scenario. Um, I, <clears throat> let's pray. Father, thank you for Kevin. And thank you for the ways that he blessed and encouraged us as a fellowship. And Lord, now as he is approaching his final journey home, Lord, we ask that you would have mercy on him, that you would bring him home gently and quickly. And Father, that you would be with his siblings, his sister and brother, that you would bless them with peace. And that through all of this, that this would be a time for them to draw closer to you and to prepare for themselves, Lord, because we're all one day going to cross over. So pray for all of us that you would, as we contemplate this and the joy that is about to be Kevin's, that we would contemplate our own joy, which is to come. Thank you, Father, for this hope that we have in Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. There are now several things happening simultaneously in Exodus, and so I am going to, they're very intertwined, and that is for a reason. Um, It's hard for us to talk about all of them in the same intertwined way um, without spending a, a, well, if you've never been to an Amish communion service, there's one part of it that's worth going, and it's the three to four hour service where the bishop goes, the, the part, the sermon part, that's not the service, that's the sermon part where he preaches from um, the flood of Noah all the way through the, cru- through the crucifixion of Jesus. And so he gives you everything. And I've thought that maybe we should do that sometime. But <laughs> so, the, so the way that it happens in the Amish church is you, uh, they will literally prepare food over on the other house or downstairs or somewhere, and so the preaching will just go on, and a few people at a time will leave, go eat silently, and come back in, and the service just goes on, and so it starts at 9, and it ends around 5.30 that night, and so, so anytime that people think children can't sit through our service, I'm like, you don't know anything yet, you just, just, just you look at my childhood, (laughs) 
you can sit through a lot. <laughs> it just takes a, a little bit of training and preparation and, yes, and maybe a little victimization, who knows. <laughs> but the, the reality is that there is so much truth here that just simply rehearsing the facts of what God has done in the past is good for our faith. It's good for us to just be reminded of what God has done and what he is doing. And so let's read Exodus 12. Um, We will probably, in fact, I am going to just just read the, the Passover part. So there's two things happening. We're getting ready to leave, and then we're, there's the 10th the plague, the death of the firstborn. And so the Passover is being instituted, and that's what I'm focusing on today. So Exodus 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all in the congregation of Israel. Speak to all in the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire its head with its legs and entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be be prepared for it by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. I love that statement. On this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. He's telling them now of what is about to happen. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. 
For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood which is, that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house, your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he has promised, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now there are several pieces that I want to just take note of. We will be talking about all of this in the, uh, not next week, because next week we're at the lake, but the following weeks we'll be talking more about what is, a, what is happening here. And so the first picture that we have in place is that there is the, the lamb is being sacrificed and the blood of the lamb is being put on the doorpost and on the lintel above the door. And so this is, this is being put there and then everyone else is safe inside. And he says, while you're doing this, while you're inside at night and you're eating this, you need to be fully clothed, ready to go. Belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So this is not a Passover or not a, um, a feast where they're taking a lot of time just to eat and enjoy what they're doing. There are other feasts that are more like that, but this particular feast is quick. It's supposed to be, the, the lamb is supposed to be roasted in the fire. And, and then he says, and then while you're in there, in your houses with the blood on the doorposts and you're inside and you're ready to go, you're covered by the blood. Then I'm going to, the, as the, the death angel comes through, I am going to protect you from the plague. And he says something in verse 14 where he says, this is an everlasting ordinance. And so what's fascinating to us is, and we'll read this verse later, where Jesus says, I have waited with strong desire or fervent desire to come and have this Passover with you. And what happens at the night of that Passover, when Jesus is with his people, he institutes what we now call the Lord's Supper. And then he also tells us throughout the New Testament that there's coming a day when we will be sitting with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so there's this eternal thing that is being started in Egypt in the middle of captivity at a time when the children of Israel need to be rescued. And so this is, this is a powerful thought, is that when the Lord comes to us, it doesn't matter where we are. We might be in complete and abject captivity, but what he starts with us, he is intending to carry all the way through into eternity and it will, it will be completed and fulfilled there with him. And so we're starting in bondage. We're starting in Egypt. 
We're starting in the world, but the Lord is speaking. And when we hear his voice and the blood is applied, so, and here are some things to think about. The blood itself in here in Egypt at this time of the Passover, the humans that are involved with the covenant are taking the lamb. They are killing the lamb. They're taking the blood. They're applying the blood. And there's a lot of work that is coming from the side of the humans. The mankind that is responding to God is listening. Now, if we jump on down to, it's still in Exodus 12, but starting in verse 43, we see some regulations as to who is allowed to do this with them. And so there's some specific people that are allowed to have Passover with them. So in uh, Exodus 12, verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant to his bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, according to their armies. So, We are given several pieces. They're told this is the Passover lamb. Don't break any of its bones. We come later to Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb. None of his bones are broken. There's a fascinating thing here. He says, don't take some of the Passover lamb and roast it here in your fire and then take a carry out dish to someone else over there. You can't do that. This reminds me of the 10 virgins who are coming and they have the lamp, their lamps and five of them have oil in it and other five don't. And when they ask for oil, we would say, well, the Christian thing to do is give them some of your oil. But there is something that I cannot give you. And in the parable it, to, the, to, the, to the virgins, Jesus says, uh, well, the, the proper answer for the, they say, go to the person who sells the oil and get it yourself. They can't. And so with the Passover lamb, you couldn't, you, you could go with your friends gather together and all of you together kill the lamb and eat it together. But they were not supposed to leave the house. They were not supposed to take any of it anywhere else. It was supposed to be, as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is one thing. It's done. It's a completely finished work. It doesn't carry into other areas in this way. It happens now. It happens here and it's done. And I can't warm it up tomorrow in the microwave and have more of it. It's finished. Anything that was not eaten is burned in the morning. So it is one work that is being done. And this is important when we think about, because when you first read this, you say, why does he care? Like if they, they might need food for the journey, why not go ahead and roast some lamb and put it in a little satchel thing and take it with them and eat it on the way to the Red Sea? Why is he so? It's because he's not just telling them how to prepare food for a journey. He's telling them, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm showing you something that is coming. And so... Here we see the instruction for everyone to be doing this. And and we will continue to bump into this as we finish our time in Egypt and are actually getting out and getting to the Red Sea crossing. 
But these are important things for us to just notice and think. And what is the difficulty for me in looking at the Passover and looking through Exodus is this is something that most of us have heard and have studied in some way or another. And we've, we've learned many of the truths that are here. And yet there might be something that you have not seen or understood. But reality is that I don't actually have any new truth for you. I have the old truth that Jesus Christ is the perfect Passover lamb and that in, only in him is our atonement. And so it's okay. I'm going to be repeating the old truths today and the next. And that's all I've really got. And so I might say them in a different way that you haven't thought about. It's possible that there is something you haven't ever been aware of. So you might make a new discovery, but it will be a new discovery of an old truth. And so this is important. As I was going through this, I, I was praying this week several times, and I, and I just had this sense of like really wanting to share something that would be, and what it comes down to is I want to revitalize our faith. I want us to be strengthened. I want us to be revitalized. And it is possible that um, when we share the truths of Scripture, that this can happen. It is also possible that when we share the truth of Scripture, it just sounds blah, 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 and nothing actually does, nothing happens for us. This has something to do with each of our hearts. This is part of why um, you don't want to just be brought a Passover carryout dish and say, here, here's your part in the kingdom. Eat this. And this is, I think, part of the concern we have in our culture when you have a Christian culture um, who is passing on Christian heritage to the next generation and the next generation, and it's not just ours. There's a lot of, I think, of the Orthodox churches and others where it's very possible that after a while, the children and grandchildren are eating the warmed-over Passover dish that was carried out, and they are not actually doing it themselves. And so there is something in Christianity that you must do. Now, as we look at what Jesus does, we see that he really did everything, and yet there is something that is required of us. And so as a parent, and I'm praying for my sons and my daughters, there is something that I cannot do for them. And so I don't want to take that privilege away from them of doing what is necessary in their own faith. When we're sharing the gospel with someone, this was something I learned a long time ago, um, you could lead someone in a prayer and say, why, why don't you pray these words? And then you say, now you have peace. Well, maybe they don't. So you don't actually tell them. You ask them, how are, what's going on right now? What's happening in your heart? And if they suddenly pray a prayer and they're going, but what about this? And then suddenly you see the, the troubled clouds go away and you see joy springing out of them and you see peace being established, you know something has happened. They have made a connection with the Savior. But if I have to tell them that they have peace, maybe they don't have peace. And so this, is, this has actually been the cause of quite a bit of, of, of concern in America because there is, a, there is a, a reality in the scripture that when Jesus saves us, he saves for us forever. And so we say that in different ways. So one of the ways we say it, for instance, is uh, once saved, always saved. You've heard of this. And so when someone says once saved, always saved, it might be okay if we actually all thought the same thing at the same time when we heard those words, but we don't. And so for some people, what they literally mean is you said a prayer um, when you were seven, you're fine. So stop bellyaching and just be fine and sit in that bench and tithe and, and stop bellyaching about it and just be a Christian. 
And the person says, but isn't my Christianity supposed to do something? Isn't it supposed to impact me? Isn't it supposed to do something for my life? You say, why are you doubting God's word? You prayed a prayer, I heard you, you're right with God, get over it. If that's what you mean by once saved, always saved, then you've got a lot of problems because it's it's not helping the person. And so because of that, there's a lot of opposition to doctrines like that being preached um, in certain circles because it hasn't been helpful. In fact, it has caused people who have not yet submitted to Christ to just sit on the bench and put the money in the offering plate and they're told they're fine. And so they're fine, but they're not okay. They're not in the kingdom. And so it's important for every man, for every household, every person, we, we have to afresh We have to be there. The lamb has to be killed for us. And so when we come to Jesus and we see the lamb of God being killed on the cross, I can tell you that many, many times. You can hear it in so many places. You can hear that, you know, Jesus was crucified on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus died on the cross. And after a while, it means nothing to you. But there comes a day, a point in time in your life when you start realizing something's wrong in here and I need something. And then when someone shares with you what Jesus did and how he died on the cross, it becomes real. That's you coming to the Passover lamb and you understand that Jesus Christ was crucified for you and it's yours. And it's suddenly different than if someone brings you the rewarmed dish and says, here, this is yours. Because now Jesus is alive. And this is a a frustrating thing that um, anyone who's trying to train their own children or if you're trying to make disciples, this is something that can be so frustrating. You tell a truth over and over and over. You instruct, you train. they, They give it back to you. They can answer the questions correctly. And then they go out in the world and they meet someone else and and someone else leans over and says, hey, did you know Jesus loves you? And they're like, what? I had no idea. And suddenly it comes alive and they come back home and like, did you know what I discovered this week? I discovered that Jesus loves me. It's usually not quite that simple, but it's like that. They come home with, they've discovered this new walk. And then they're trying to get all of us to actually go on this new walk with them. And we're like, but we've been on this journey for a while. Like just because you only now discovered it doesn't mean no one else knows this. And yet this is a, this is, this is, and so when, I just thought it was interesting that God instructed Moses, don't let them cook it in one house and take it to the next house. Cook it in that house, eat it in that house, and burn the rest. And so you might apply this in different ways, but think about that in your faith. Your faith needs to be your faith. And so if you're going, I have no idea what all this is about, well then that it, it behooves you to ask the questions, to dig into it, to look into what does it mean that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So I wanted to read just a few more things. This is the Passover itself, in my experience, is such a broad application because of the things that happen here impact so much of life. Now, it is absolutely fascinating to me that we have something here, happening here in ancient Egypt that the Jews to this day are doing that. It's still happening. And so there are people who really want to have something ancient. So they go to the Druids in Ireland and they go back 
a couple thousand years and they think they found something ancient. This is really ancient. And if you really want to be ancient, you go back a couple, another 400 years before this and there's circumcision. So that's an ancient thing that's actually still being practiced to this day. And so Passover, uh, like, you know, Stacy has a Jewish student who comes and they, they have, they're doing Passover. They're doing all of those things at the right times of the year. And so the, the feasts are still being observed. And what is interesting, and I mentioned this a minute ago, is how there is a, there is a Jewish Passover. And then Jesus comes and says, this is, this is what you're going to do. As often as you gather, drink this, eat this in remembrance of me. And I'm not going to drink of this again until I see you in heaven, in the kingdom. Well, he says in the kingdom. And so people have taken that to mean two different things. I think one of the absolute applications for it is there is coming a day when we're sitting with the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that is a fulfillment of this. And so there is that day coming. And so we have that to look forward to. It is also true that we get to, in a spiritual sense, eat this here, and we are part of the kingdom looking forward to that day. And so that's good. We can do it that way. But I wanted to now stop and look at the instructions we've been given here is every household, unless your household is too small, maybe two of you go together. And so every household gets a lamb. Now, there's more instructions over in Leviticus 23 where it goes through all the feasts of the Lord. Uh, in Exodus 13, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And actually, why don't we read a few verses out of Exodus 13? So Exodus 13, we'll be starting in verse 3, going down through verse 10. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread that's also being given as an instruction, and this becomes part of Passover. Um, so let's read it. Exodus 13, starting in verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place, no leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you're going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that, honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. So this is another part that's being established and that it just now kind of... It is a separate feast, but it really is covered in the Passover because it all becomes one um, event. If you look over in Numbers, chapter 28, here is a, a listing, fittingly, in Numbers. It's a numerical listing of all the, the, the different sacrifices that need to be made on Passover and on each of the feasts. So you have the daily offerings, Sabbath offerings, the monthly offerings, and then in verse 16, so this is Numbers 28, 16, on the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord, and on the 15th day of this month is the feast, unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no customary work. 
and you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year, be sure they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for a bull, and two-tenths of a ram. For a ram, you shall offer one-tenth of an ephah for each of the seven lambs, also one goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these beside the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. In this manner you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire daily for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. I wanted to read that. So this is now in Numbers. God again instructing, saying, here is what I want. This, these are the offerings that you're going to be doing. And now I want to jump forward to Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 10, The, these very offerings are being discussed. So Hebrews chapter 10, and we're, uh, I'll read the first four verses, and then we'll jump down and read another section. Hebrews 10, verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, um, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. So basically, you can keep the, the, the list of offerings that are, were listed there in Numbers. You can keep that list perfectly. But even if you do it, it is just a shadow of good things to come. It is not the very image of those things. Verse 2 says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. And then it goes on to explain how Christ came into the world to actually take away our sin. And down in verse 11, it says, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever... after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So there is, a, there is something that's being explained here. And so think about this. If you take the blood of a lamb and you take the, the, the they were putting it on the lentil, uh, the lentil was the right word, I think. And then the, the, the doorposts and they're putting it on there. And so if you think, now they were about to leave Egypt. So they didn't need that house with that thing again. But once they got into their land, and now they're at this place where uh, if they're putting this on their doorposts as a remembrance, if they were doing that, well, year by year, this blood would fade and eventually you'd need more blood, right? You'd have to do it again and you'd, it would fade away. And so, it, you know, even if you use something like paint, which has a better staying power than, than something like blood, I mean, blood is, can, very, can stain things. But so the, the challenge is that it fades and it goes away. And so... 
Now, in Egypt, the picture was that the death angel was coming over once, but we understand something as we look at the brokenness of the world that we have, there is, there is, there is a constant attack of death and darkness in the world, and we are needing the protection of Jesus at all times. And so when Christ came, he didn't just come and give us more blood of lambs and goats, but he gave his own blood. And so he himself is offering it. So it's not, even though the, the Jews participated and the Roman soldiers participated in killing him, it's not the same thing as when man takes the lamb and kills it. This was himself offering himself. So he is both the high priest and the offering. He offers himself, but it's not just a, it's not just a one-time offering. I mean, it is a one-time offering, but it's for, for forever. It doesn't just last for a little bit. It is forever. It says, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And so it's done forever. And so there's this difference between the original Passover was to go year by year by year. And then Jesus comes and it is forever. And out of that forever, out of Christ's blood that is to, to be eternally effective, there comes a rest that is for the believer. And so I'm going down a little trail here. You'll see where I land in a minute. But in Hebrews chapter 4, in Hebrews chapter 4, the last couple of verses is talking about the high priest and what the impact is on us. So Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so there is a place for us to now come boldly because of our high priest. And so I wanted to think about this for a moment. We have several pieces of how we are to deal with our relationship with God. For instance, over in Romans 6, and this is a familiar passage for many people, but Romans 6 has this illustration talking about baptism and what that means. So in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, um, actually, let's start in verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we, shall, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So there's a tie being made between we identify with Christ in his death. And so what is the death of Christ? He is that Passover lamb. So there's something in the Passover that is now not just Jesus dying or a lamb dying, but there's something in it where we, the old man, dies and we are made new in Christ. And so... We, rec- we are now identifying with Christ in his death. And if you go, there is a, this is a word picture in Colossians that I really like that helps me understand what my position in Jesus is supposed to be. So this is in Colossians chapter three, the first four verses I want to read. It says, if, you, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So there is this, 
This, the, the word picture is that we are hidden with Christ in God. And a, this is part of the Passover. And the part that I wanted to point out here is in the, in, the, in the actual Passover in Egypt, you had the children of Israel cowering in their houses, so to speak. And they are, they are preparing the meal. They're doing all the things ready. They're ready to go. But they are in their houses and outside in the night. The death angel is going over. They're hearing the wail of the Egyptians rising. They're hearing all of this happening and they're inside and they're trusting that the blood that they put on there and you start, uh, and you start thinking, well, did, did we put enough blood on there? Did we, is it visible? Should we have set up a light to be able to see the blood? Like, what does it need? And you're, and you're alone in here. But in our position in Christ, the picture is that yes, we are covered by the blood. The, the blood is on the doorpost of our heart, but we are not alone. We are actually hidden with Christ in God. And so this is the picture in the Passover. It's like mankind doing these things because we're obeying God and we're following the instruction and we're doing the right thing and we're being protected because we're following the instruction of God. But now we have Jesus himself, the perfect sacrifice. And as he becomes our Passover lamb and as we become his, Suddenly, it's not about us doing the right thing to gain this, but it is us being identified with him and being part of him. And so now, uh, and so Paul uses the illustration of baptism. He says, in baptism, you are identifying with the death and burial of Jesus Christ and with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're identifying with Jesus. That's what you're doing. And so much of our Christianity has less to do with figuring out how to keep the actual feast that was here or how to properly approach God, but it has more to do with the fact that Jesus made the path and he has sent out the call to the ages to say, come, come to me. And so if you look over in Luke chapter seven, I wanted to actually read this moment when Jesus is at the Passover as what we call the last supper. It's in Luke chapter, it's uh, chapter 22, actually. Luke chapter 22. So Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. When the hour had come, he, Jesus, sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. For behold, the hand of my, uh, then, then he's going on into the betrayer with Ju- Judas, and then the evening continues. So we can end right there. He's just saying, I'm starting this, and he's, he's fervently desired to eat this with his apostles. And he's saying there's coming a day when something else is going to be like this. Um, do this in remembrance of me. And I think in Matthew, in that one, he more specifically also talks about that time when, he's, when, when we're together with him. But there is something real here that Jesus was looking forward to. And this is important for us to grasp, is that the love of God is 
Not just a love that says, oh, those poor people, they are on the wrong track. Let me fix that and put them on the right track. The love of God is actually saying that the creator of the universe made you to be with him. And there is something about your presence in his presence that is beautiful to the creator of the universe. He wants that. He desires that. So when we were separated from that and that fellowship was broken, he was not okay with that. And so he wanted us to understand what that cost was. And so rather than just going surreptitiously and doing something that no one could understand and saying, okay, you're all mine again, he set up this whole thing starting in Exodus with the children of Israel. And he said, we're going to do these things and you're going to do this year by year and you're going to kill this many animals and you're going to do this sacrifice. You're going to do it in this way. And he had them doing it. And so they would, like, they would forget and, and then every so often, it might be a couple hundred years, they're reading again the law going, oh, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And they go back and they have a revival and they do it again. And they're like trying to understand what they're supposed to be doing. And they're doing that. And so by the time Jesus comes, they've gone through this cycle several times, enough so that after the time of the Maccabean revolt, after that time until Jesus comes, they have done a pretty good job actually of keeping the feasts. And so they're doing what they're supposed to do year by year by year. But they are now forgetting that this is being done to show them of something that is to come. And so when that which is to come comes, they are so busy doing this that they forget, wait, here he is. We could be with him. And so even the, apostles, uh, the disciples of John the Baptist say, why are your disciples, um, or, or the, the Pharisees say the apostles of John are fasting and praying, why don't your disciples fast? They ask Jesus. And he says, well, when the bridegroom is with you, there's no need to fast and pray because you're with him. But when he's gone, my disciples will also fast and pray. And so there is this, this, this moment where he's saying, look, you know, all the times he says, I am in John and other places when he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the door. I'm the way. He's trying to say for real that here I am. You can come into my presence. And if you look over, one of my favorite verses is tucked into Revelation chapter three. And it's talking to the churches. But there is like this moment where it feels like as he's been talking to the church, he just turns and speaks to the whole world in general. And he says in verse 20, Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. So if you remember a couple of plagues ago, we had the plague of darkness that came. There was darkness so thick that it could be felt but then the children, it said that there was light in the houses of the children of Israel. And it just says it in passing. So I'm thinking about this, and this is how I imagine it. There's darkness over all the land, but over there in the, in the children of Israel, where they are, you see there's light in their houses. And I don't know if it just means that their lamps worked better and it functioned, or if God himself allowed the light to be in their houses. But in all of Egypt, there's darkness, but here there is light. And so there's this picture that is being given that for the people of God, there is light in the darkness. They are walking in the light. And then we come through the Passover where he says, I want you to be ready. What are, what are they supposed to be ready for? Because they're about to leave the world. They're about to leave Egypt and they're headed out. And as they're heading out, they have to be ready for what is to come. 
And then we get to the gospels and we have Jesus saying, I want you to have your lamps burning and bright. I want you to be watching. I want you to be waiting. I want you to be looking. And blessed is the one whom when his Lord comes or his master comes, he finds so doing. And so there's a picture that is given that we too are supposed to have our our waist skirted about with the belt of truth. We're supposed to be standing, our feet shod with the gospel of peace. We're ready. We're ready to go. And where are we headed? Well, we're actually in the kingdom of heaven. When we die here, when we cross over, when Jesus comes again, there is coming a day that has way more life happening in it than anything we've experienced so far. This is all a shadow of what is to come. But what is beautiful is the pictures that he gives us until that time. So there is something about the way that we will be in the presence of God in eternity that is so beautiful that we don't even have the proper words for how to deal with it. Uh, The psalmist said that in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. And so we find something of a promise of something that is to come. And Jesus is inviting us into that so the world itself might be full of darkness, but our houses, our tabernacles, that's us individually, we can have the light of Christ shining in us. Outside, you can hear the, the horrible, grievous weeping and wailing because of the death that's in the world. But inside, we are sitting with our master and we are dining with him and he is dining with us and we're having fellowship one with another. Outside, the world itself seems to be self-destructing, but inside, we are hidden with Christ in God. And this truly is the Passover that was being illustrated. It's not just a Passover of a one-time event of death, but we live in a world of death and brokenness. And the Passover blood of Jesus covers us through any amount of death, any amount of brokenness that is in this world, and we can actually live our entire lives in his presence now. But there's coming a day when in the same way that the Egyptians could feel the darkness, on that day we will be able to feel the presence of God. It will be different. There will be no more sun because the lamb himself is the light. And that's what we're looking forward to. But we get to walk in, and I don't want to use the shadow, the shadow of things to come. I mean, this is a shadow of things to come. And so if you think about all the times when Jesus talks about those who are gnashing their teeth in outer darkness, And then you think about this, there's an inner light that's being talked about. And this is not the inner light of your own soul discovering itself, but this is the inner light of Jesus Christ coming into his creation. This is powerful. And so when I look at the Passover and then I look at the marriage supper of the lamb that is to come and I look at Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb, and then you go and you read the parables that Jesus gives, you understand he is not just making up a story because filmmakers like to say, well, Jesus, you know, Christian filmmakers, Jesus was a great storyteller. You know, he, he was using stories to illustrate points. There's only one problem. He was a reporter. He was telling us 
reality of what was happening. He gave us an accurate description of an event that had not yet happened or had happened, but it's from an eternal perspective. He's showing us what it looks like. And we're going, wow, that was so creative of you, Jesus. Well, yes, it was, but he actually created everything. And then he's showing us how it works. And so there's coming a day when we understand, oh, when you talked about the talents, when you talked about the virgins, when you talked about the, you know, the, 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 the poor man Lazarus and the rich man, uh, when, when you're giving us those things, you're not just making up a story. He's giving us an account of what's actually happening in a spiritual realm. And so this is, this is, is helpful for us in our own walk. If we, under, if we look at what he does with Passover, when he institutes the Passover lamb, and then he puts that in place, but then he himself fulfills the Passover lamb, but he says, this is not all there is. I, am, I want you to remember my body and blood every time when you meet, but there is coming a time when we're going to be together and it's going to be awesome. So he's, he's setting up something that's eternal. And this is what we get to meditate on and encourage ourselves with. And so when we are remembering the day of the Lord, when it says to encourage one another with those things, these, these thoughts and ideas, what we're really doing is we're saying there's coming a day and that is exciting. So the light that is within, the light that Jesus is offering to each of us, the fact that he is willing to be with us, that we can be hidden with Christ in God, that we can be identified with him. Um, in one place, I believe it's in Hebrews, and I am not actually sure of the reference, where it says he is not ashamed to call them his brethren. And so Jesus is making it possible for us to identify with him and to be part of the family of God. That is powerful. And this is the invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he wants to come in and fellowship with us. Fellowship, if we truly understand what it means to interact with the God of heaven, it's one of the most powerful things that's being offered to us. The fact that I can talk to God and God wants to talk to me. And that he made it possible. I mean, this is what the cross did for us. He made it possible so that I can actually approach boldly and come and have fellowship with him. And this, to me, is the spiritual significance, part of the spiritual significance of Passover. And this is why the idea of Passover is, can be applied to just about every area of your life. Because in about every area of your life, there is an outer darkness, there is death and destruction happening, and there is a place where, the, where the, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and are safe. There is that spot somewhere in every area of our life. There is that place we might physically suffer, we might physically die, but there is a, there is a place of safety for the people of God where the death angel is forced to pass over us because we are hidden with Christ and God. We are in fellowship with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Passover. Thank you for the picture of Passover. Thank you that you've given us not just the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, but Lord, you have given us the blood of Jesus and that it is forever. And Father, thank you for putting on our hearts, the doorposts of our heart, your blood, and allowing us to identify with you. Lord, we come to you today. We just humble ourselves before you. We ask that you be glorified. Let your name be glorified in all the earth. And Lord, you're knocking on our heart's door, and we want to be able to fellowship with you. So we want to fling that door open, Lord, 
Our whole life belongs to you. We want to fellowship with you now, and we look forward to that day of fellowshipping with you then. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.